0: So Money, episode 337, College Week, continues with Mark Moody, co-director of college counseling at the Colorado Academy. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500. And that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit Wealthfront.com. Welcome back to College Week here on So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. How are you enjoying the week? This is an experiment on the show. You know, I've heard from listeners that you sometimes like these deep dives, these weeks where we really take time to explore a topic, explore a theme extensively. And so it is January. Many students are applying to college and many of you I know are saddled with student loans. So we're gonna dedicate this week to college Today's guest is the co-director of college counseling at the Colorado Academy, which is an independent prep school for grades pre-K through 12th grade. It's located in Denver. Mark Moody has been helping students at the school prepare for the college admission process since 2008. And before that, he was the director of college counseling at the Bush School in Seattle. He is an active member of the Association for College Counselors in Independent Schools and other college counseling networks. He's also contributed to the New York Times, the Chronicle of Higher Education and the True Admissions blog. We talk about the biggest mistakes students make that could hurt their chances of getting into a desired institution. You know, me personally, I've been rejected from a few schools and it doesn't feel good. And I wish I had known prior to that experience how to improve my chances of getting in. We discuss how to invest in college properly to get the experiences, the tools, and the knowledge that you need for your next phase in life. You know, Mark speaks with admissions directors at major schools frequently, lots of them at Ivy Leagues. He shares his best insider tips based on these conversations that might help applicants. And we also discuss this controversy around the Coalition for Access, Affordability, and Success. It's a new coalition of public and private schools. The goal is to encourage more students from low-income families to apply to these schools, including some Ivy Leagues, but it's stirred up a lot of, controversy. Okay, here we go. Without further ado, Mark Moody. Mark Moody, welcome to So Money College Week. Could I have picked a better time for you to be on the show? I don't think so.
1: No, we're right in the middle of (laughs) of the process for seniors and uh, juniors are probably starting to think about it. You, yeah,
0: yeah, you have a very big role at Colorado Academy. You're the co-director of college counseling. Tell me what your life is like right now. I can only imagine (laughs) because also, you know, not to stereotype, but it's a private school. People pay lots of money to send their kids to Colorado Academy. There's an expectation, hopefulness that their students, their children will get into a a prime destination, a prime school. (laughs) So that's a lot of pressure for you. But at the same time, you want to make sure these kids are, are going to the right places for their skill set and their financial you know, it, scenario.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. So how do you reconcile you know, those worlds?
1: It's a long conversation. We ideally we work with students for for a year that we're having this conversation about their next steps. And, we, you know, we really try to take that. um anticipation and anxiety and sort of turn it around a little bit and, and empower students by really beginning our process uh, by helping students assess themselves, think about their learning styles, think about uh, the kind of environment in which they will thrive, um, to think about what they want for themselves in college and beyond and understand that, you know, college isn't um, – the end of your life. Um, sometimes there's this idea that so there's so much focus on that sort of endpoint to uh, to high school that you know, we we forget to think beyond it. Um, it's a, it's a step um, to what students are going to do later on, and and really at the end of the day, college is what each individual makes of it. And we try to really empower the students with that sort of mindset. I, I always like to say you can approach um, the college search process by you know the visual of walking into, you know, a big college fair where there are several hundred colleges and just sort of being overwhelmed and walking up to each one and saying, you know, can I get in? And what is the best place that I can get into? Or you can sort of turn that around and really spend some time preparing yourself and learning about yourself and really reflecting, as we hope kids are able to do by the time they're in in junior year, and come to the process in a way that says, here's what I am and here's what I hope for my future and how can each institution help me meet those goals and what can they offer me and, and are they a place where um, I'm going to be able to be happy and successful and, and move on uh, relatively quickly, hopefully in about four years, to their next their next goal.
0: It's a good point you ne- make that college is not the end all. It can feel that way. How do you facilitate that reflection process? And I, and I think that what you're doing at Colorado Academy is very unique. Many schools don't have someone like you Mm -hmm. who's, I mean, certainly there are people at the schools who are helping you with your applications and getting you some information about the schools, but this, this kind of psychological process that has to happen too. not the kind of training you get at a lot of schools. So, um, how, what's the reception to that? I mean, cause it's it, on top of everything else, kids are taking courses, they're doing their sports there. There's, this is like one more thing. So mm-hmm. how do you find the headspace for it?
1: We're really fortunate at our school that we have a really small, um, counselor to student ratio. And we have the ability to spend time with students as long as they're willing to take the time to come uh, speak with their counselor. And And certainly we're aware, that you know at the average american high school the ratio's um of students to counselor are getting larger and larger and larger and it's it's sometimes hard for students to have um the time with counselors to to get that um kind of one-on-one advising and certainly counselors do their best uh, in those situations um you know in our, in our community, as in a lot of independent schools, really um, there are students coming from a lot of different kinds of backgrounds. Um, we really have the gamut from um, students who have uh, a great deal of resources and who are um, just the latest in a long line of generations who have gone to college and who have ideas about college and have some expectations about that and have some kind of family um, reference points. And we have students who are the very first in their family um, to go to college, um, students who attend our school on scholarship or financial aid, and who are going to be looking for those um, kinds of support as they as they move on to college and so um, you know we work with with students coming from from a lot of different uh, starting points, which is which makes you know our job fun and interesting. Um, but you know we have the ability. In a, in a place like ours to really start with kids and, and coming from this context where, where a lot of folks have known them for, you know, at least three years when we start as juniors, sometimes for much longer because our school is pre-K through 12. And there are um, always a, a cohort of students who have been, been at our same school all the way through. Um, but we start by, by, kind of pointing to the experiences that students have had in school so far and asking them to reflect on the classes that they've enjoyed, not just in terms of subject matter, but in terms of the teaching style of the individual teacher. Um, what are the areas that they've discovered that they, they really might have a passion to continue learning about um, in college? Um, what are the things that they've discovered? On their own, outside of school, maybe through extracurricular activities that, that they might want to pursue in greater depth, and and we just sort of start there with with that idea of here's who I am, and here are some ideas about um, what I want to do in the future, and we we try to to match them with some starting point colleges that they can learn about, understand what's out there, and just continue to evolve from there. Every every college you discover that is exciting to you and every college you discover that really in some way that you can articulate seems like it's not going to work for you is helpful (laughs) and we can move forward and eliminate certain kinds of colleges from, from a very big list and perhaps add more of a certain type of college as we move forward.
0: I like to think of college as an investment and so not just an investment in yourself to make sure that you feel fulfilled in the choice that you made, but also that when you exit college, that what you've learned and the the resources that you've gained will help you become a productive member of society right. and gainfully employed, hopefully, at that. <laughs> right. How? I mean, it's hard to predict the future, and, and you don't want to dissuade someone who's passionate about dance or acting, which are very risk, relatively risky, competitive, sure. narrow fields. Uh, but how do you, what, what kind of a, what's your thinking around that? You know, as you're talking to students and they want to go to these amazing schools, but maybe, um, and major in something that's a little abstract. Um, do you know? Do you do you burst their bubbles <laughs> and say that's well, no. well, there, not a good Well, there's a couple
1: idea. of different uh, pieces to this question. So if if a student wants to do something that's very specific that requires going to a very specific type of college, so you know you might be looking at going to, um, as you mentioned, a, a place that specializes in the fine arts or the performing arts. Well, that's an interesting conversation, and 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 you really have to spend a lot of time. Um, you know, talking to people at the colleges um, that that train folks for those professions and talking to maybe people in those professions about the nuances of of this education and what it will prepare you for, and what happens if for some reason this is something you can no longer do that 's a legitimate question with something like dancing the same way that it 's A question for a student who might want to go to college to play a sport, um, we always have what we call the broken leg um, scenario, which is what happens if, you know, worst case scenario, something unfortunate and unpredicted happens that you're not able to continue this activity. Uh, And if you've chosen an an institution based on your ability to continue that activity, is it an institution that otherwise is a place that you're going to be happy and will help you um, move forward in your life without that um, that activity in, in it anymore. Um, so, you know, and that, that, that extends to things like, like engineering. If a student really thinks in high school, they want to be an engineer, that's going to shape their college list. There, there's a relative minority of colleges that offer engineering in this country. And, you know, a student will need to, uh, focus within, within that group, but also, they need to understand that the institution that they, they choose should be one where if they decide as many students do, that engineering is not the specific discipline in which they want to continue that that institution can, can serve their needs otherwise. And this is a place otherwise where they're going to be, where they're going to be happy, have their needs met and, and feel successful. So these are questions that involve time and reflection again. um, as to the question of, of more abstract areas of study, you know, you're speaking to um, someone who has a degree in Spanish literature, um, <laughs> whose, <laughs> yeah, whose life has taken... And look at you now. Len, look at me now. I'm, I'm living... Look at me, every mom. Every child's dream, you know, it's firefighter, astronaut, or college counselor, right? <laughs>
0: um, I wanted to be a waitress. <laughs> nice. I didn't realize that was just a part-time job. <laughs> right.
1: That's yeah, what, what most I'll have
0: other hours in the day to do things.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, in my own life, um, and I, I do try to relate my own life experiences to to my counseling to students, you know, I, I would have never predicted uh, when I was in college that I would end up doing what I do. I, I didn't know when I was a high school student or even a college student that people did what I do because it wasn't really the experience I had. Um, my high school is was um, in a Small town on the on the South Texas border, and our our counselors um, were great folks who did the best that they could to serve students. But but there we were at a school where there were um, where there was a large migrant population, where there was a lot of. Um, of attrition and students dropping out. And that was really the focus of the school counselors to help, to help those students. And if it was clear that you were kind of going to be college bound anyway, they said, well, you know, good luck. (laughs) You'll, you'll figure it out. And so, so this was all kind of a new, um, experience that I, that I, that I stumbled into, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think we have to look really carefully at our at our assumptions about what college is and what college does, and understand that um, it's really valuable to have that four year experience it helps you it helps you grow up it helps you learn to live in a community um, it helps you learn how to learn um, and I really think those are the skills that are most important and um there's a lot of talk in our day and age, especially since two thousand and eight about the idea of return on investment in college and the idea that something that seems to have a very specific application uh, in the business world is a better way to invest your time in college. And for some students, that's great if that's what they know they want to do. But for a lot of students, I really think the most important thing to look for in college is the opportunity to grow and learn, to communicate effectively, to work well with people. And um, those abstract disciplines, as you call them, things like philosophy and English literature and history, um, even really economics in in many senses, are are, are fantastic preparations for almost anything that you could want to do in the world.
0: Yes, totally agree. My concern is that if you approach College and blindly just take on all this debt, even you know pursue mm-hmm. your passion, but it, but mm-hmm. do it re- re- reasonably financially uh, to an extent where you can pay it off within ten years of graduating. Absolutely. So speaking of affordability, you know I interviewed John Wasick earlier this week as part of College Week, and he wrote the book The The Debt Free Degree, mm-hmm. and he told me, kind of surprised by this, that state schools are not necessarily the most affordable option. Mm-hmm. What's your perspective on this? Where do you see a lot of the free money uh, coming from?
1: Yeah, so this is a really interesting question. And, and you know, when, when we advise students, there's this idea of fit with college that folks talk about a lot. And it's a great concept. It's the idea that, you, you know, your institution should be chosen based on um, kind of your, your feeling of belonging to the community and it's an idea that was presented by college counselors over the last sort of 20 30 years as the antidote to just focusing on the idea of prestige and what's the quote unquote best college i can get into um however you know fit is a complicated concept and and i'm certainly not uh, inventing the wheel here and saying this this is uh this is college counselor uh 1 on one, 101 but you know fit has many Elements And the two most important ones are admissibility. Am I able to get into the colleges that I'm focusing my attention on? And two, affordability, which is becoming harder and harder to predict for students. Um, As to the specific question of state institutions, yes, we're at a really interesting time where public universities in many states have seen decreases in their funding. Uh, There have also been some... um, limitations on the federal financial aid program over the last 20 years. And so the picture is a little bit different. You know, many of those um, great flagship public institutions that we know so well and that we see on television on uh, Saturdays in the fall are places that served a lot of students after the after the uh, Second World War and the GI Bill days. Um, but it, at the current moment, we're in a little bit of a different time when some of those places simply don't have extensive financial resources to help students um, pay for their education without taking on significant debt, as you point out. So the interesting thing for students to know is that some of the schools that have the highest sticker prices actually are the schools that are able to give the most money to students to help them afford their education and to minimize debt.
0: That's hopeful.
1: So, yeah. So, and un you
0: know, unexpected. So what are some examples of those kinds of schools?
1: Of specific schools?
0: Yeah. Give them to me.
1: Okay. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, th- there are a lot and, and, and something that I've, I've been working on for my students is a, a kind of list of, of places that, and again, this is a moving target. It could change year to year based on um, colleges policies, but places that, you know based on where I am as a student in terms of my academic profile, where I might be able to get some some discount and look to minimize my debt um, you know I would say three go to colleges that I often uh, encourage students who are you know sort of in the um, let's say top quarter uh, to half of our of our class uh, who are concerned about paying for college with a minimum of debt, I would encourage them to look at um, Tulane University in New Orleans is a place that has uh, been generous with with what we call merit aid, uh, also known as scholarships, also known as a discount to attend. Um, another college is Rhodes um, in Memphis. Um, looking south is an interesting strategy, just as looking Midwest is. Um, A lot of the colleges in Ohio, places like the College of Worcester, um, Ohio Wesleyan, these are private institutions that, again, if you look at the sticker price, it's very high. Um, You know, the the average cost of a selective private university these days is somewhere north of $50,000. And that can be really intimidating when you see it. However, if you you dig a little deeper, you'll find that the percentage of students and families who pay that full sticker price um, is often very low, Um, and there's a sort of sliding scale picture of how much families pay along um, a continuum of um, their financial need and the student's academic ability. The main strategy that I would um, encourage students to consider is that if look if you're looking to find the schools that will be most excited about you and en- entice you to attend by way of a financial discount you need to look at schools where based on your academic profile by which i mean your your gpa some sense of the kind of rigor of your curriculum uh, that you've taken on in high school relative to what that college expects And your test scores, uh, when you have your SAT or ACT scores um, in junior year, take those numbers, be realistic about them, and then look at the colleges that are out there and find the schools where those numbers of yours put you in above the middle 50% range of students at that college. Generally admits, or at least in the top fifty percent of students at that college, generally admits, if that makes sense. And those are the places, if they give merit-based aid, that are most likely um, to offer you that that kind of discount. I, I have to that. say, t- go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, I mean this is this is gold. You're giving you're giving us gold here.
1: I'm trying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, give us uh, some more gold because I I want to pick your brain about this, which is I think is I mean, how many guests do you have that can say that they speak frequently with deans of admissions across the country at Ivy League schools. What sort of insider tips can you provide listeners based on these conversations that could help applicants get into these schools and get the merit aid?
1: Right. So this is a this is a good question. So I think I think first you want to be again realistic about your competitive competitiveness, the record that you've built. You know, we say in college admission, you have to run on the record that exists of your high school um, accomplishment. And it's it's there. You can't change it. But there are some things you can do with your application, like work really hard on your application essays to make sure that they really represent your true authentic voice. Um, and also, you know, something that a lot of students... Um, sort of dismiss in the process and don't spend enough time on are those supplemental essays that many colleges require. So, you know, over 600 colleges, um, use the common application. And, uh, so, you know, in our particular school setting, most colleges that our students apply to use the common app. And there are some, some variations. There. And there's still a lot of public universities that don't use it, but a surprising number that do. Um, so the common application is is a great thing. You know, I applied to college in the in the day when I was using a typewriter to fill out forms for each college I was applying to, and they all had sort of slightly different essay topics that I had to finesse for each college and and send those in by mail. And now we have this electronic interface um, where colleges use one universal essay that is sent to each of them. That's the personal essay the student spends time on. But many colleges additionally will require a supplement. And those supplements are really important because that's where colleges can kind of differentiate students and get some sense of that student's own sense of fit with the institution, that student's own interest in attending the institution. So that's a place to spend time that students sometimes sort of forget and put those supplements off to the very last minute. Um, I always tell students, if you're applying to five colleges, even if they're very, very similar, and you're able to write the same supplement that only has the name of the institution changed, you need to work a little harder. Because you should be able to write something that, again, starts from a sense of who you are as a student and then extends that to and here's why i think i will thrive at your institution and here are the specific programs and opportunities that your institution offers that i am excited about that i think will help mm. me grow personally
0: yeah show that you actually understand the school that you're applying to and you've done a little legwork around that
1: mhm so the other thing that i would say that's really important is you know folks often are looking for the secret to getting into competitive universities and, you know, obviously, if, if there were some secret words that I could offer you, um, I would be very wealthy myself by, by selling that information. You know, the, the reality is this, the most important thing a student can do when applying to college and really when engaging in their high school experience is not to be thinking about what do those people want to see. And who should I become or who should I pretend to be in order to win their favor and approval? Rather, students should be thinking about what's really important to me. Because there's a funny thing that happens when you engage in your high school life in terms of choosing classes and engaging in your extracurricular activities. If you're doing that, if you're, number one, you need to do it, right? You need to spend the time. You need to care about your, your studies and you need to find things that you care about outside of school, But, you know, for every student, that's different. And some students struggle to find the thing that they really love. And some students try lots of different things. Some students, you know, know from the time that they're eight years old, that they love the piano and they spend all their time playing it, or they love dance, or they love um, playing lacrosse, right? Um, And that's great if that's the thing that you found and you want to focus on it. Other students do all kinds of 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 things and have kind of a collection of activities that they're that they're focused on. But the most important thing for students to think about and for parents to encourage their students to do is not do the thing that you think is gonna pay off in college admission, but to do the thing that you care about um, and that reflects your personal interests, values, goals, etc. And here's the here's the thing that I find interesting. If If students engage in their high school experience that way and if they approach the college process that way and are willing to not sort of airbrush themselves but really let their authentic, you know, ragged-edged, 17-year-old, unfinished voice shine through, a couple of things will happen. Number one, they'll be more interesting to colleges. Number two, I think they'll be more meaningfully engage with the process and place less emphasis on the value of a sort of bumper sticker name in the colleges that, that they're looking at. Um, if you really are looking, if, if you invested in yourself and you've really struggled to find what your voice is and what your interests are, you're not going to be looking for that approval from it from an external source. And you'll be able to look more critically at colleges and look at what they really can offer you and make a good decision that way.
0: At the same time, there are certain benchmarks you want to hit. If you're interested in going to certain schools, just looking at their average mm-hmm. applicant who has, what's their SAT score? What's their GPA? Um, I think that I feel that well, all, everything you're saying, I like want to cheerlead, but At the same time, you know, I live in New York City and I see that like parents of three year olds getting ready for the college admissions process now. And it's all about who you know. Where did you go to school? Did your parents go to Stanford? And so there are all these other factors that I feel like leaves all these all these other great kids that are being authentic and true who don't maybe have the legacy or the big dollars. (laughs) You have to wonder, like, you know. Do they have a chance? And, I, and and it sounds like they do. You, I mean, listening to you, it sounds like colleges really appreciate the authentic student who is not just trying to present him or herself in such a way that is fitting into the mold of the school. Um, but at the same time, you, you got to admit that if you've got a parent who went to the school or your parents are big donors, that helps.
1: It does at certain institutions. And if the, if that's Your situation, that's great. And if it's not, there's nothing you can do to to influence those kinds of factors. But I would say here's the secret. You know, over the last, let's say, 30 years, college admissions has become a news item. Um, We've become more interested in sort of winning and losing in the college admissions process. And we present the most selective schools as these kind of benchmarks of, of achievement. You know, you look at the schools and, and we all know what the schools are that we're talking about that kind of have the the marquee names. Um, you know, those places are, to be very generous, they're denying at least 85 out of 100 students who apply is one way that I try to help my students look at it. Some of those colleges are up to 95 out of 100 students who apply are denied, Right out of pools of tens of thousands of students from all, all over the world. You have to understand this is a global uh, competition for, for um, achievement at those particular institutions. What's exciting to me is that as, yes, competition has become much more intense in certain sectors of the college world. At the same time, there have been some really interesting shifts in the landscape of higher education in America. So, you know, if we go back 40-50 years, yes, maybe some of those those sort of marquee name institutions had a lock on certain kinds of experiences, but I really think that's not the case anymore. Um, you know, since the 1980s, you can go to a relatively um moderately selective uh liberal arts college that has good resources and have incredible experiences as an undergraduate student with PhD holding faculty um, who will engage you in research in the way that um, only graduate students often have the opportunity to do research at the marquee institutions and come out as a super competitive student. You know, one of the secrets to this whole picture in the year 2015 is that the students at the graduate level, by which I mean students um working on a, a master's or PhD or or going to law school at the most prestigious institutions are not overwhelmingly from those same prestigious institutions. They often come from the kinds of schools I mentioned before. If you look at what's called the undergraduate origins of of students um, achieving PhDs, they are overwhelmingly on a sort of per capita basis from small liberal arts colleges where students were able to really engage in their education and have people who cared about them people who were advising them, people who were helping them graduate in four years. And so um, that's not limited to small liberal arts colleges, but um, small liberal arts colleges are the majority type of institution that we have in this country. And there are some really fantastic opportunities there in that sector that almost any student, no matter what their level of achievement in high school has been, almost any student has a few of those schools they can look to Uh, where they will be competitive for admission, where they will likely find a good financial fit, and where they can get a really stellar education. One of the things that I try to help my students understand, again, from my own personal (laughs) experience is one of the ways that I ended up as a college counselor by way of an undergraduate degree in Spanish literature is that my goal after college was to become a college professor I did go to graduate school. Um, I went to what was at the time um, one of the top schools uh, in my particular field, and that was sort of step one in my understanding the value of my own um, undergraduate education because there weren't a lot of people there from the kinds of, of institutions who, that we're kind of alluding to with, when we talk about the marquee schools. Um, and, you know, personally, it just turned out for me that looking at what the profession my professional life was going to be like as a college professor, uh, in the mid nineties when I was in school, it was, it was, it was daunting and intimidating because what you realized was the competition for jobs was fierce and your ability to sort of control your life after you finish this PhD, even from, uh, this, this very well regarded and, and very selective institution was going to be, was going to be limited. And one of the things I, I try to help families understand now is that there are probably a couple of hundred of great institutions that almost any student has access to where i can guarantee you that the people teaching classes are of the same level as the people who, you know, if you think 40 years ago may have been more concentrated in these marquee institutions, but now the academic job market is very very competitive and i, you know, i visit colleges a lot and the quality of instruction and energy and engagement of faculty that you find at what the kind of colleges that a lot of folks do haven't heard of when they enter the college search process is really, is really extraordinary and it's really widespread. And, and that's sort of the good news about um, the college admissions and co- higher education landscape that I try to spread <laughs> every time I have the opportunity because there really, really are great options out there. If you focus on the small handful of schools that are denying the vast majority of students who apply, you'll make yourself crazy. You Indeed. can't second-guess their admissions process. Um, it is so fine-tuned at those places that the same student one year might not get in the next year because of the institutional priorities. Yeah. And so you really just need to, I hope, take a more holistic view of it. Ask yourself what you want to get out of an education and if you educate yourself about what colleges have to offer, you'll find that there are many, many great options for every student.
0: You There's have to long, laugh it off. Answer. because <laughs> no, and, and, and thank you for saying that. And, and I remember Farnoosh at age 18 getting rejected from most of those schools, which we, will, we shall not name. Right. Um, you have to laugh about it. Otherwise, you're going to cry. And a big, ugly, sobbing cry, too, because at that age, too, you're so you're you are at a very impressionable age. And when you get rejected from a school or schools that you've idolized and. Mm -hmm. you've seen other students go to that may have a lower SAT score than you who didn't do as well as you. And you're like, wait a minute, right? This was supposed to, I was a shoe in. And then you don't, and then you feel as though that your world is falling apart. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know I've been there. Um, Mm -hmm. so, but I didn't have a Mark Moody at my school. So (laughs) we're, you know, I'm glad at least we're, you're somewhere and you're helping students and now you're helping so many people on this show. You mentioned the news briefly earlier when you were talking about how, the portrayal of college, the news has really she sort of re- reshaped that. And we, we, you know, we look at some of these big name, these very elite schools as the end all. There's other news that's happening that many people don't know about, but because you're entrenched in this world, you know it mm-hmm. co- closely. It's and something that we talked about when we met. Mm-hmm. The Coalition for Access, Affordability, and <laughs> Success. I, this okay. is a big. I want to wrap this up uh, quickly. This interview because I've held. You on the phone for quite uh, some time now, but I would love to just touch on this because it is newsworthy and it is controversial and you do have some interesting um, through your lens. It's uh, we should learn about this. It's a coalition of 83 public and private schools.
1: I think it's actually a a little bit closer to 90 now.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Latest
1: report. <laughs>
0: okay. Thank you. Their goal, supposedly, is to encourage more students from low-income families to apply to uh, these schools, and they include Ivy Leagues, but it's stirred up some controversy. It seems like in, on, in pa- on paper it's a noble effort, but what are the concerns from your perspective?
1: Sure. And I'll try to make this um, really brief. Um, Certainly, there are very well intended people involved in this effort and people who really believe in it. What we know from the presentations that have been made, and this was really unveiled. Um, kind of suddenly and, and dramatically at the um, National College Admissions Conference, which this year was in San Diego back right around the 1st of October. And this was the first exposure many of us had to, to this group and the message. And there have been a couple of presentations since, and I've been to, to one of the big ones that happened since, which was at the College Board Forum in Washington, D.C. in November. So essentially what this group is saying is that they're they are together to, number one, support a new application platform as an alternative to the common application, and secondly to promote the idea of college access. Where this becomes a little bit problematic is, number one, the idea that further complicating the process of applying to college by creating a new platform is going to help more students get there. also, you know, when you look at the group of colleges, and I believe your alma mater, Penn State, is one of the colleges in this group. Mm. Um, is that correct? You went to Penn State? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and it's a really diverse group of colleges. And and, and on, at face value, that's great, right? Um, you want to promote access. You need all kinds of institutions to serve all kinds of students. Um When you look a little bit closer at the schools that are there and you look at their populations of Pell Grant eligible students, which is a good shortcut to looking at at how those institutions are serving students with with significant need, uh, you'll find that there are schools represented in the group that have very, very low Pell eligible, eligible populations. You'll also see that there are schools that are very need aware in the admissions process, meaning that they take the students essentially who have the highest need and kind of put them in their own pool and select a small number of those students that they're going to fund uh, and they're going to not admit a significant number of students who do have, who do have financial need. Um, and so that's complicated, right? The thing that has really created a lot of questions that goes along with this group's effort is the idea that there is what, what they're calling a, a locker. Uh, this is essentially an online digital portfolio, um, which is an idea that has become very popular in college admission. Lots of companies are are attempting to sell these as ways that colleges can get a little more information about students. However, um, you know, really simply, if you look at the idea of creating, you know, a web presence with this digital locker where students can store. Uh, multimedia projects or or school papers or personal writing from the time that they're in ninth grade, um, it's not clear how that increases access to students who really are in the populations um, that are least served, right? Um, We we know from experience that many of the students who who are going to have the highest um, financial need and who are least likely to be college bound are going to be students who don't have great access to technology. Who probably don't have broadband internet access at their home. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an effort to make this um, accessible to mobile phones, but we also know that the reality is some students don't have data plans that will allow them extensive access to to uh, online resources, even if they have have a cell phone. So um, it seems.
0: Well, and men- you did you didn't yeah. mention the other thing, which is that these lockers. Mm-hmm. or gold mine for data miners
1: exactly, and so that' that's been a concern that that um, i am I'm, I'm I have to say on a personal level i'm 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 hopeful that that's not the intent here. Um, however, it has not been put to rest whether or not um, that is part of the relationship with the vendor that is a private company that is building this application, and certainly we know that the business model for many of these online digital portfolios that are being marketed to students is, in fact, um, the ability for the company who's providing this online space to, to mine that data, which is really, really valuable to, uh, to, for the sake of marketing, right? If, right. You, if you can get straight at this information, you know exactly uh, what's on the minds of the young people that you want to sell products to. <laughs> so um, there are still many, many questions, um, This is an early um, initiative, and and we hope that more clarity comes in the new year. But um, to to summarize a great article that recently came out um, in Forbes, written by a former college counselor, it seems like um, a well-intended effort with uh, a lot of naivety behind it in terms of how a website is going to to promote access. Um, And we hope that with it comes some significant efforts by these same colleges, to to reach students um, in more direct ways by, by supporting community-based organizations, by supporting schools that don't have uh, significant resources. So a lot remains to be seen.
0: Mm. And if anyone's looking for a side gig, you could become an expert on how to teach parents and children and how to <sighs> maximize these lockers. Well,
1: we, we really, really hope uh, that that is not I know, the way but really, like, stuff goes. That's the way the world <laughs>
0: works, Mark. But, you know, you know? And the
1: reality, though, is is... The, the the interesting thing is is from the Q and A sessions at the public um, presentations that the coalition group has made, um, it's it's very unlikely that admission officers will actually be looking at these lockers. Certainly before the students apply to college, I think it will become a way that these colleges can say, "Hey, we'd like to see a limited number of additional." Uh, pieces if you have them and want to submit them to us at the time of application. But the notion that, you know, college admissions offices in this day and age are, um, they're under a lot of pressure and they're very, very busy. And I can't imagine folks adding significant staff and that that staff would have the training in, um, 9 through 12 education to be able to make. Real meaningful assessments of the kind of work that students might be putting in there in ninth grade, um, as as I've said to a couple of college folks, um, I've seen ninth grade papers. Be careful what you wish for. There's a lot of growth that happens over the next yeah, three years. Yeah, and
0: honestly, like Carnusha's <laughs> ninth grade locker. <laughs> <laughs> It's like pictures of like Johnny Depp and like, you know, uh, gosh, just silly things, but Mark Moody
1: and guitars in it. It Okay. Really cool.
0: (laughs) See, that's cool. My, I would, I would not be showing my locker that would not help me with my college admissions, but we shall see, right? Time will tell Mark Moody. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much. In fact, Listeners, this idea for college week was born out of a conversation that you and I were having. We were both at a wedding mm-hmm. and um, we should, I should mention too that your sister-in-law is mm-hmm. married to my sister-in-law. Exactly. So we, we are, we are, we are, we, of we are, we are of sort of family. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we were happy to be there and we just, you know, cause you know, you're standing around drinking a lot at weddings and of course, <laughs> What better com- what better furniture. drinking conversation than college at a wedding? But I guess that's because we're so geeky. But we did, we're a and we
1: nerds who found ourselves in a <laughs> corner talking about college admission.
0: I actually have a photo. Someone photographed us. Uh, we were deep in conversation, and uh, I'll probably put that on the blog because it was pretty yeah. funny. Um, but thank you very very much for thank you
1: so much for the opportunity.
0: My pleasure. Opportunity. Have a great new year.
1: Thanks. You too.
0: That is a wrap. Thanks so much to my guest, Mark Moody. If you'd like to download this episode, grab the transcript, or leave a comment for us, head over to somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh. Send me your question for the Friday episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. College Week continues tomorrow with the foremost expert on financial aid in this country, college financial aid, in my opinion, Mark Kantrowitz. Stay tuned. Hope your day is so money.